Welcome to the Ridley College Chapel podcast. Our mission is to equip men and women for God's mission in a rapidly changing and increasingly complex world. For more information, visit ridley.edu.au. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the perishable and the mortal with the immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gave, he gave us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Hear the word of the Lord. Well, uh, thank you again for having me here at Ridley. It's the first time I've been here. It's a beautiful campus, isn't it? Uh, but uh, it's a great privilege to be with you today and to have the opportunity to encourage and challenge you from God's Word. Uh, this morning we'll be considering the chapter in the Bible that gives us the reason for doing what we do as gospel ministers. Uh, 31 years ago, uh, when I told my boss, Bill Davidson, that I'd be leaving my job as an assistant works engineer at Moray Plain Shire Council to study at Theological College, he just shook his head in amazement. And he said to me, Rod, you know, I've known a handful of lucid people who have chosen to do what you've done and I have never understood it. Why would you do that, he said. Now, I can't remember exactly what I said, but it was something about believing that life was about relationship with God and wanting to help others know how they could find that through trust in Jesus as well. But to be honest, he didn't get it. Uh, he just stood, he shook my hand, and with that I left civil engineering and came to theological study, uh, to college to study the Bible. Now, I've often thought back to that conversation. You know how you have conversations, you think, I wish I'd said that. Uh, I wish I'd explained the reason better. And today, I think, in the final verse of 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul does explain it better because the truth is that resurrection is the reason that I did what I did. Look with me again at 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Now, no doubt this is a very familiar verse to you, but let's take some time this morning to pull it apart and consider the encouragement it brings. Let's start then by asking, what's the therefore, therefore? Okay? The context of this verse is, of course, the whole of chapter 15, 
before it. This is a chapter about the resurrection. First in verses 1 to 11, Paul says, uh, Jesus died and was buried and on the third day he was raised again from the dead and was seen alive by many, many eyewitnesses. Secondly, verses 12 to 34, Paul continues by asking, so what's at stake if Christ has not been raised? The answer, our faith is futile. We're still dead in our sins and our believing loved ones have perished. So we may as well eat and drink without regard for what's right and wrong in God's eyes, for tomorrow we will die. Now, thankfully, none of those things are true because as Paul has said already, as he's already established, Christ has in fact been raised from the dead. Indeed, he is the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep, meaning that we too will experience resurrection if our faith is in him. Thirdly, in verses 35 to 49, Paul helps the readers think about the nature of the resurrection body. It's like a seed that's sown in one form but comes up in another. What's sown perishable is raised imperishable. What's sown in weakness is raised in power. What's sown natural is raised spiritual. Which fourthly, in verses 50 to 57, brings us to the incredible implication of all of this Namely, that death is not the end for the Christian believer. On judgment day, this will become clear to everyone. The trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. Our mortal bodies will become immortal, and death will be swallowed up in victory, the victory that's won for us through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so comes this great outburst of praise in verse 57, Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the resurrection is very good news indeed. And that's what the therefore is therefore at the start of verse 58. The reality is that this life is not all there is. Eternity is on the table and it's right that we should frame our lives in the light of it. Well, let's look then at what Paul exhorts us to do in the light of the reality of resurrection in the rest of verse 58. Let's read it again. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Now, what does it mean to uh, stand firm and let nothing move us? Well, stand firm literally means stay firmly seated. Uh, Be unshaken is what we must be. So we must stay firmly seated on the firm foundations of the faith as delivered to us by Paul and the others who are inspired by God to pen the scriptures. We must not be shaken from them. When the sceptics attack us over the plausibility of the gospel, or when the progressive, progressives ridicule us for out of, how out of step we are with our world, we must stand firm and let nothing move us from the truth given to us uh, in God's word, the Bible. Now, I wonder if you've felt the force of those assaults in recent years. For the Corinthians, the attack to the truth centred on the reality of the resurrection False teaching had brought into question important matters like forgiveness, 
and eternal life and the need to live a morally righteous life in line with God's word. For us, the attacks come most directly at the moment over our Bible-shaped view of human sexuality. Sadly, the Anglican Church of Australia is at a bit of a crossroads on this matter. It's been brought into sharp focus by the desire of some Anglican dioceses to proceed with the blessing of same-sex marriages. During the uh, Anglican Bishops' Conference in Adelaide earlier this week, I was periodically discouraged by the fact that the plain teaching of Scripture was being ignored by some bishops. Rather than let the Scriptures inform the debate, some tried to explain the plain teaching of Scripture away by reinterpretation. Others sought to displace the authority of the Scriptures with human reason or human experience. Now, perhaps not surprisingly, Exactly the same thing happened last year at the Australian Bishops' Conference, which was by Zoom at that time. Ironically, back a year ago, uh, on the day we were talking about the blessing of same-sex marriages, the Pope on the other side of the world, who was dealing with the very same matter, issued a crystal clear statement. He said, we cannot bless same-sex marriage because we cannot bless sin. Now, I'm fairly new to the job as Bishop of the Armidale Diocese. Uh, It wouldn't surprise me if I was seen at the recent Bishops' Conference as the naive, new and evangelical bishop from the country. Uh, And that's okay. I'll wear that. But one thing I know from my consecration service early last year is that the scriptures must be foundational for the way I lead God's church. At that consecration service, which is straight from the Anglican prayer book, I promised to take the scriptures very seriously. I promised that I would instruct the people committed to my care from the scriptures and teach nothing except what I am convinced may be proved by the scriptures. I promised that I would be ready to drive away all false and strange doctrine, which is contrary to God's word and privately and publicly to call upon and encourage others to do likewise. I promised, by the help of God, to correct and discipline according to the authority I have by God's word, the disorderly and the disobedient and those guilty of offence within my diocese. When I publicly promised all of those things in taking on the responsibility of being the bishop of the Anglican Diocese of Armidale, I meant what I said. With the Lord being my helper, I plan to lead the Armadale Diocese accordingly. And so at my consecration, it was crystal clear to me that the seat I must stay firmly seated on, the thing I must remain unshaken from, is my commitment to the truth according to the Bible. Now, over the next year or two or three, you'll be finishing your training for gospel ministry and you'll find yourself in a world that's increasingly hostile to the Christian worldview. Pray now that God will strengthen you and your cohort to be steadfast and immovable, to stand firm, to let nothing move you, that you might stay unshakable in your commitment to faithfully living by and teaching the Scriptures. Pray the same thing for your Archbishop and the clergy team in this diocese. Pray the same thing for me if you would as well because we're all going to need God's strength and protection in the days to come. 
Well, while we remain steadfast and immovable, uh, stand firm, let nothing move us, what else does Paul exhort us to in the light of the resurrection? Let's look at the verse again. He says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Now, always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. What is the Lord's work? Paul doesn't specify it here, but the next chapter does make clear, I think, what he's referring to. Look with me at uh, chapter 16, verse 10. He says, 16, verse 10, If Timothy comes, see that he has nothing to fear while I am with you, because he is doing the Lord's work just as I am. So here we go. Timothy was doing the Lord's work and it was the same as what Paul was doing. And I suggest to you we can conclude then that the Lord's work is proclaiming the gospel of Jesus to unbelievers. It's consolidating the faith of believers through teaching them according to the scriptures. It's refuting false teachers as Paul has been doing in this chapter. In the Armadale Diocese, our mission statement is uh, we're on about introducing all people to Jesus and helping them home to heaven. That's what we're on about. Uh, that involves uh, gospel proclamation to country communities all over the northwest of New South Wales that we might introduce all people to Jesus that may, they might respond to him in repentance and faith. The work of the Lord involves helping those who do respond to the gospel home to heaven by teaching them what it means to live with Jesus as Lord according to God's word so they can stick at it until Christ returns or he calls them home. Introducing all people to Jesus and helping them home to heaven. That is our mission statement, but it's essentially the work of the Lord, isn't it? And as gospel ministers, we are to excel in it by giving ourselves wholeheartedly to it. Paul Barnett translates it, always be overflowing in the work of the Lord. Uh, your NIV says, always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Well, how have we been seeking to do that in the Armidale Diocese? Well, I'm particularly excited about one area of the work the Lord has been uh, doing over the last few years, particularly in Tamworth. Uh, the Coldale Front Yard Church is an outreach ministry to Aboriginal families in the lower socioeconomic part of the town. Uh, that work started uh, nearly 11 years ago now uh, with a Bible study group of five people meeting in an Aboriginal Christian man's home. Uh, we gathered, we studied the scriptures, we prayed for the Coldale community and for the next three years, we held small front yard gatherings where anyone could drop in for a cup of hot chocolate or a chat around the fire. Uh, we would pray for them. Uh, sometimes kids would come. We'd read them Bible stories. we follow them up. We built trust in that three years. In the fifth year of the work, we started a front yard gathering at Auntie Lucy's place across the road. John might have talked to you about this already. I don't know, but... She was not a Christian, but she was a person of peace and well-trusted in the neighbourhood. We ran that like a kids' church and those early gatherings drew about 10 people. We sang Colin Buchanan songs. Uh, we worked hard to deliver short gospel messages from the scriptures each week and we provided a simple meal. 
That group grew to 15 and then 20 and then 30 people. And now, a further six years down the track, we regularly have about 100 to 110 people gathering for Coldale Front Yard Church. Uh, Jum Naden, who I think you saw on Tuesday, was that right? Uh, he came to us from Moore College just over three years ago now, and he heads up that ministry. And I've got to say, he does it far better than I ever could. Friends, I am so encouraged by that work now. But I can tell you, in the early years, it was very hard work indeed. That work is a powerful reminder to me that we tend to overestimate what we can achieve in one year, but underestimate what can happen in 10 years. Perseverance is key. Hard work is necessary for any new gospel initiative. But we need to keep thinking proactively about how we're going to reach those communities who don't yet know Jesus. In the light of the resurrection, we must put in the effort to give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Friends, phrases like this are why you're here at Ridley College, aren't they? (laughs) The work of the Lord is what you are in training to do right now. What an opportunity you have here. learning from some of the best Bible teachers in the world, taking time to grapple with God's breath, the God-breathed word that's the scriptures, wrestling with how the Bible can be effectively preached to God's people and proclaimed to a world that's largely lost. What a marvellous opportunity you have. Make the most of it, won't you? Dig the well deep so you can draw from it faithfully in years to come. In your student minister positions, prepare well. Serve wholeheartedly. Don't despise any task you're given. Minister means servant. Get used to turning up first and leaving last. Don't shy away from shifting the chairs or sweeping the floor. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Why? Look with me at the last part of verse 58. Because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Yes, it will be hard. The word labour means toil. So sweat will be involved, sometimes even pain. But you give yourself fully to it, knowing that it is not in vain. Well, I wonder if you ever feel that your labour here at Ridley College is in vain. Uh, Do you ever wonder when the essays due... And uh, the youth group talk is a day away and you've got a sick child. It's all very hard. You ever wonder if it's worthwhile? I know there were times when I was at Theological College where, where I felt just like that. But, you know, then in 26 years of parish ministry, I can tell you there were plenty of days too when I wondered if all the hard work was worth it. Mornings when the scripture class was more like a zoo and... No one seemed to listen or evangelistic events where lots of work went in but hardly anyone from the outside turned up or Sundays where illness or depression made everything a slog. There have been many times like these when I found myself wondering, is it all in vain? Now, it's in times like those we need to read 1 Corinthians 15, 58 again and be reminded that resurrection is the reason that our labour is not in vain. Friends, if Jesus Christ died and rose 
2,000 years ago, then he is both Saviour and Lord. Sin has been paid for. Forgiveness is possible and resurrection life is a reality. And so the good news of Jesus must be proclaimed because this life is not all there is. The scriptures must be faithfully taught because eternity is on the table. The work of the Lord is not in vain because this is the way that God has chosen to rescue people from eternal death and bring them to eternal life. And this is why it makes perfect sense to persevere in gospel ministry. Let me tell you just one story to just underline the importance of sticking at it. Uh, Just over two years ago in in a very strange season for me, it was the lead up to the bishop's election in the Armidale Diocese, I felt somewhat unsettled, as did my team. I was then the senior minister of St Peter's South Tamworth, but I was determined whatever happened that we must not stall in doing the work of the Lord. And my mother, Betty Chiswell, always used to say, when in doubt, do evangelism. It's a great phrase, when in doubt, do evangelism. And so in the five weeks leading up to the bishop's election, I ran one final Simply Christianity course. Uh, We had five not yet Christian people who came along and out of that five, Gordon came to Christ. Uh, Gordon had been invited to church by a former Vietnam vet and that man had come to Christ some 30 years earlier. That man is now discipling Gordon and Gordon's going on with his faith. I'm not at St Peter's South Tamworth anymore, so I don't see Gordon much, but I'm looking forward to catching up with him in heaven. He's frail, but he'll have a resurrection body then, and so will I. Friends, praying a simple commitment prayer with Gordon uh, in in his lounge room was one of the highlights of my last few months on the coal-face in gospel ministry, and it reminded me powerfully again that resurrection is the reason we do what we do and it makes sense to stick at it. Let me read it again. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, in the light of the resurrection, Please strengthen us by your Holy Spirit to stand firm and let nothing move us. Please empower us by your Spirit to always give ourselves fully to your work, O Lord. We thank you that our labour in that work is never in vain. So help us to stick at it for your glory. Amen. Amen.